What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War, episode number 160. I'm in the studio, and I am being joined via Skype by the internet with Jessica. What's up, Jessica? Hey, friends. <laughs> Rosie is not with us tonight, but this is going to be a great episode. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, But before we jump into that, I was just curious, anything in the news cool happened this week? Yeah, I um, I mean, I've got some news about vegans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so this article says, it's official. Plant-based diets make us gassier. <laughs> so <laughs> They do. <laughs> so what's worse for the planet? This is what the article says. What's worse for the planet? Cow or human farts? Mm. <laughs> It says um, that they did a study, basically, um, and had men that were doing, you know, fruits <laughs> and veggies, and oh, and grains and beans, okay. um, just for a few weeks, and then the researchers concluded that the men who follow a plant-based diet fart more <laughs> and have. Have larger stools than men following a standard Western diet. <laughs> I don't think men need help farting at all. The, the results revealed that those following a plant-based diet farted seven times more per day. Wow. So who's at fault here? The cows <laughs> or the vegans? I blame I'll Greta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, did you know that the first wind breakage of the day in the morning is usually the longest and loudest really yeah because i wouldn't know it's been don't do that. pent up at, no you're my <laughs> wife is never either that's interesting uh, uh, that's great oh man that's good it's true you know it, everything about anything that they try and push on us is wrong mm -hmm. and i don't even have to know why anymore mm -hmm. i just automatically disagree with it and distrust yeah, you know, <laughs> always question what they're de demonizing on the media. <laughs> exactly, you know, and that it's like people that question the Bible and they like trust the government, like they they've got it backwards. The, the Bible <laughs> has never let me down. It's always been faithful. It's always been true, but mm -hmm. the government has constantly lied. Always lets me down, and I mean, just every April, I I'm faced with All that. Right. Yeah, making those payments that you hate, right? <laughs> Theft. Theft, yes. Legal theft. But um, anyways, that's awesome. Well, we have a, a very good episode, and I think we should just jump right into it. So as I always mm -hmm. say to everybody, sit back, grab a coffee and a brisket, and enjoy. <laughs> You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, everybody, we have an excellent guest, an exciting person I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about. I think this is pertinent for our current uh, economic state and condition of our culture and our country and just the overall way things are going in our world today. We have joining us A.J. Richards, and he is 
doing something fantastic. He is, in a nutshell, trying to decentralize the food supply network that in the <laughs> chain of food that we have. And he's doing it through some really inspiring and unique ways that I think are great. Anything that's decentralized, I'm a fan of personally. So, um, yeah, I just want to invite you to the, to the pod. Welcome you to the podcast, AJ. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you for having thank me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I listened to a couple of episodes on the road, kind of understand who you guys are, what your audience is about. And we have a lot of a lot of alignment, that's for sure. So that's great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we can we can if you want to talk about giants instead of cows, I'm down for that anytime, man. <laughs> great. <laughs> so cool. uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of um, how you mm -hmm. ended up where you are today, if you don't mind. Yeah, not at all. So um, I'm from St. George, Utah. I was born in Sandy, Utah, raised in St. George. Um, I am the city slicker cousin of five generations of ranching. So <laughs> I got to grow up doing the brandings and the cattle drives and, and um, always wanted to be part of ranching. But, you know, I always say that if my mom was my dad, I would have been a rancher. <laughs> but my mom married somebody in the city. And that's typically you go, you know, you go where the breadwinner is. And, and so that's just how that that's how that went. But, uh, you know, my cousins used to tease me when I was younger about being a city slicker. And I, that really bothered me as a child. And now it's become a massive blessing because I grew up in a world where I understood enough of it, but I also was removed enough. And then I spent 12 years living in Phoenix that I, what I think I bring to the table is this ability to speak urban and rural. Mm. And that's mm. where a massive disconnect is. You know, if you were born and raised in the city, they did a, a study recently sometime around 2020 where kids in the city don't know where the meat comes from. Yeah. Like they just, when the store shelves were empty, they were like, can't you just go back there and make more? <laughs> like, what, why, why is, why is the store shelves empty? <laughs> so this ability to kind of understand where both people are coming from and, and do my best to communicate and bring those worlds together um, is important. So grew up in St. George, Utah, joined the uh, Utah army national guard when I was 18. Um, cool. And that was great because it got me out of sort of that bubble because, you know, St. George back then was tight, was small. It's grown a lot now, but I got to go to Fort Leonard with Missouri. And then all of a sudden it was a melding pot of cultures and people. And so I realized my way of being raised, uh, my way of thinking was not the only way. And I had to learn how to, to uh, create some synergy with those other you know, these other people from all over the, all over the country and even some other territories like Guam and Puerto Rico and those places. Um, so yeah, I mean, dated my high school, my wife is my high school sweetheart. We've been married Aww. for 20 years. So I'm, uh, you know, the thing I'm most proud of is that that's a pretty big accomplishment for yeah. us. I mean, going through combat tours and all of the challenges mm -hmm. of being young married couples that don't get, you know, there's not a, I don't think there's a really good education on what, it means to be married and all the things that will come up and the nuances, you know, cause some of it kind of just, it's embarrassing to talk about. And then some of us just, you wouldn't know it's up to the individual experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I moved to, so after my deployment, we came home, I was roughnecking in the oil fields. Um, a friend of mine recruited to sell pest control door to door. Uh, that was my, uh, one of my first jobs coming home and, um, I remember walking from door to door thinking I used to be a warrior and now I'm a pest control salesman. Like it mm -hmm. was a really trying time for me mentally to figure out where my place in the world was. Mm -hmm. um, so 
but but did that did really well at that and then i got asked to go down to phoenix arizona to run a, the national cell center for that pest control company and there was no way i was going to go to phoenix <laughs> but that's where i was introduced to self-development uh personal development for the first time because the the owner of the company on the phone said something that changed my whole trajectory of my life what is what pulled me out of the oil fields and i don't know where i would have ended up if i never left and that was i totally understand you don't want to come down here because i didn't want to go in the city that was my thing Hmm. and he goes just can i leave you with something and i said yeah please and he goes remember that you will become like the five people you spend the most time with Hmm. and when he said that it went in one ear and right out the other or so (laughs) i thought i go out to the oil field and I start looking around with the men that I was working with and I realized that's not what I want to have in my life. These were hardworking men, so I'm not saying anything about the work ethic, but when I looked at some of their their values of their home life and some of these guys have been doing it for a long time and they kind of got stuck in it because the money was so good or those kinds mm-hmm. of things, I'm like, this is not what I want. I called him, it was, I, I mean, I left on Sunday drove to Vernal, Utah, or actually it was Casper, Wyoming, called him on Wednesday because I was in a man camp. I was in the middle of nowhere, Casper. <laughs> so we worked together all day and then we slept in the same camps, they called them all day, you know, at night. And I'm like, and the jet, that phrase just played over and over and over again. Hmm. So I called him Wednesday and I said, is that job still available? So <laughs> anyway, that's what drug me to the city. I ended up being down there for 12 years, ran a couple of businesses, um, that uh, taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. And, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of where like an origin, an origin story that kind of led to here. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and all the while my goal was to get onto a ranch. Mm-hmm. I kept trying to do everything. My uncle told me something a long time ago that if you want to be a millionaire rancher, start with 10. And so <laughs> my assumption was like, okay, I better go find a way to be successful so I can afford to be a rancher. Start with, and, start with and, 10 million. Is that what his whole idea? Yeah, oh. <laughs> and you'll work your way down to one and so I was trying to be successful and do all that and then you know I guess while I'm in Phoenix I opened the first CrossFit gym in Mesa Arizona Um, from there I a year later I opened I started this head-to-head fitness competition where I took CrossFit athletes and I paired them head-to-head in weight divisions and I programmed specific workouts that would accentuate that size of athlete, right? If they were Mm -hmm. big athletes, they did heavy weights. If they were smaller athletes, they did more gymnastics. Then I started this division where I put athletes missing limbs and in wheelchairs together because I had Mm. friends that were combat veterans that had lost Mm. limbs in combat. And these were high functioning athletes. I'm like, these guys should be recognized as professionals, but there's nowhere for them to, to do that. So I, program workouts like if you're missing a leg above the knee and somebody else is missing a leg above the knee i mean i would fly people in from all over the world (laughs) to compete for a title in those divisions so that was really neat seeing that happen um then things didn't go well as my first business i got sued by crossfit headquarters and you know (laughs) they they didn't like i was growing something that could potentially maybe be bigger than what they had Mm -hmm. at one point we were broadcasting a quarter of a million live Wow. Uh, every three, four times a year, mm-hmm. my marketing budget was only $3,000. So I learned how to leverage social media to gain that exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we told really great stories. And so it got a lot of people to watch. But eventually, you know, I 
maybe it just, well, not maybe it wasn't where I was meant to be. (laughs) And, uh, you know, who knows in the entertainment world that can get pretty rough, especially with families. (laughs) And so, uh, that all went away and I kind of took a step back and I said, now who am I? (laughs) And I got into self-development for people who had a lot of weight to lose, um, because I got introduced to how the mind works and how certain ways we were raised mm-hmm. and thir- certain thoughts and beliefs we had create who we are and that that doesn't have to be who we are. And so if it's not working for us, we might have an opportunity to change that or we do if we understand psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of advanced a lot. Naturally, I have been given a gift of being able to to listen to people and help them overcome certain things. I mean, I've had many mm-hmm. clients say, I don't know why I just told you all that I mean, <laughs> in, in one phone call. And I says, yeah. I don't either. I don't fully understand that either, but I take it very seriously and it's, you're safe with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I helped a lot of people with trauma, people that had severe sexual trauma that were, that was holding their entire lives back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't me. I didn't do those things. I was just in a position to be there. And I definitely believe in God and his, and that we are given certain gifts to be able to use. And I, so I, I give him all the credit. I know your audience mm-hmm. is, is our believers. And so I just was a tool because like, mm-hmm. that's why I told him, I said, I don't know why I have no idea yeah. why, but, <laughs> but you are safe with me and let me help you. Uh, so I worked with this guy named Chris Powell from extreme makeover weight loss. It was a TV show. Yeah, I know. Him. I, mm-hmm. I remember that. that. And I coached his, cause he had, you know, he couldn't do them all, all that himself. So I had like 40 clients. I, I was there to help actually build their entire program, did that for a little while. And then finally I said, you know what, I'm doing all these things to try to get into agriculture. Let mm-hmm. me just get into agriculture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kept trying this yeah. and then it would work. And I try this and it wouldn't work. And I'm like, let me just get into agriculture. So I called my cousin one day and I said, Hey, can I sell beef for your ranch? And he's like, yeah, so that's that's where it started. That was 2019. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Kind of timely, huh? Right before everything yeah, yeah. like hits the yeah. fan in the world, you know? Uh-huh. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. so you you kind of have this pathway of like military and then, you know, you're, you're, you obviously have a high respect for discipline and that's a high priority in your life. And it's something that you, you know, seem to, to really respect. And so you're helping other people but you still have this kind of pull towards agriculture and working with a ranch. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that's just sort of kind of in you because of your family history or like, like, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first I started getting really worried about my children and their future. Now, yes, I always wanted to be a part of ag, but, but as a, as a, as a young man, I only knew one way of doing it, which was how Mm -hmm. I saw my family doing it. Mm -hmm. And then I got, I started getting really concerned about the environment. Now I don't believe in climate change as the narrative that's being (laughs) pushed on us. Right. However, desertification is real Mm -hmm. and desertification is caused by the way man manipulates the environment for his greed. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, When I was in Iraq, I went back as a private contractor and I was waiting to leave to come home because when I went as a private contractor was for the money. And I realized that about three months in and I'm like, this is dumb. I'm not here for any sort of anything other than money. Mm -hmm. And 
my wife and two kids are at home. Like I'm going home. So I'm sitting in the airport mm. of Baghdad international airport. And I sit next to the gentleman who's an Iraqi citizen. Uh, and he's the head of general electric for the entire country. And he tells me that Iraq used to be a wetland, hmm. that it was not a desert, and they never knew what huboobs were, the giant dust storms. Mm -hmm. But what happened was is Saddam Hussein was so worried about his neighbors in Kuwait that he dammed up all of the canals and dried up the land so he could see as far as he could see. What? So you're talking – yes, yeah, so you're talking about an entire country that used to be something else than what it is, right? And so, so I start – this starts weighing on my heart. Like my kids are going to be hungry because we can't grow food because it's desertifying. Mm -hmm. My family have historical writings. They settled. If you've ever heard of the Bundy ranchers in the news, that's my family. So <laughs> Clive and Bundy and Ammon Bundy, like those are, those are, those are my, you know, that my, my grandma and Clive and her brother and sister. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, my family have these historical writings when they settled the Arizona Strip in 1916, they homesteaded it. They said that grass was stirrup high on their horses and they could dry farm almost anything, cotton and corn and potatoes. Like they could just, they could farm it naturally. And five years later, they couldn't count on the rain cycles to be natural anymore. They didn't, they weren't consistent. And slowly they had to leave the Arizona Strip and go back to town because they couldn't that nature wasn't working with them. And what they didn't recognize is the methods that they were applying were actually the cause of this break in the natural mm. water cycles and so forth. I didn't know any of that, but I'm, so I'm reading these writings. And then in uh, 2020, I came across a, a TED talk by a gentleman named Alan Savory. Well, so first of all, this was something kind of got impressed on my heart in 2016 and I would really, I would really, really worry about this. Like I would think about my children and, and I think it would be, think about them starving because when I was in Iraq, we had care packages sent out and we went into a village to feed a family. And I have a picture of me in, we call it full battle rattle, my Kevlar helmet, my vest, you know, I'm holding, I've got a, an, M, an M4 with a 203 grenade launcher and I'm playing soccer <laughs> with one of the little kids. And there's a picture of us kicking the soccer ball back and forth. At the time, I was young. I had a five-month-old at home, so I, my brain wasn't really in dad mode because I left when she was five months old. Mm -hmm. And so this didn't land for me, but later in life, I remembered seeing the man, that the father, and what stuck out for me is he was watching us take care of his family. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't ever want to be in a position where somebody else is taking care of my family. Mm -hmm. And so this, this desertification stuff was really wearing on me. So I see this TED talk by Alan Savory from South Africa. There's an institute now called the Savory Institute where they teach holistic land management, which is essentially working with nature as a whole. So, mm -hmm. you know, go figure the creator of all of these things that we admire had a plan <laughs> and that plan works in a whole right? Everything <laughs> is meant to work together. And we, as man, we extract one thing to, because we're like engineers, we want to get from here to here, and that's mm -hmm. usually profit. How can I get to profit the fastest so we move all these things out of the way, not realizing as soon as you remove one piece of the hole, you've broken the system? Hmm. And Alan teaches that. And um, so that was my first sign. Wait a minute. We can actually help other nature. We, we can play a, a role in reversing this problem that we were the cause of. You know, It's like what we spent 100 years destroying – Mother Nature, the environment, 
will give us support back within two to five if it's managed the right way, the way it was intended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really us knowing that we're part of that, <laughs> you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in some aspect, right? So then this documentary called Kiss the Ground showed up. It's on Netflix, and I saw that, and that gave me more motivation. I really said, okay, I'm going this direction. So when I started selling beef for my family's ranch in 2020 or in 2019, COVID hit. My business was growing. People were in, you know, because of companies like ButcherBox, mm-hmm. people were getting away from the grocery store and finding a more direct path to to kind of an understanding of where our meat's coming from. So ButcherBox, in my opinion, kind of broke that and, and gave us an alternative. Hmm. And so I started selling for my family's ranch, but then in 2020, COVID hit. I called the processing plant to schedule my next round of slaughter. And they said, we can get you in in 12 to 18 months. And oh, I was like, goodness. oh, there goes business. Because wow. I got customers wanting beef, but I got no beef. And so for a while, I drove all over the state of Utah to every single meat processing plant just to try to squeeze in. And that presented, you know, all kinds of problems. So what what was the cause of that? Um because if oh, you're yeah. like me, I'm completely ignorant to the process yeah. and the system. Um, by the way, I wanted to say, tell you, I don't know if you ever looked into or heard of uh, what they call a jubilee. And no. uh, it was instructed through scripture that okay. uh, when Israel was doing their farming and all, after a set amount of years, they were to allow the land to rest so for an entire year so that they could, mm-hmm. uh, so that it could replenish itself and then it would come back and... Um, Ah, yeah. That we. Uh, so we're connected. Will you send me where I can read about that through scripture or, or where Jubilee? I mean, I'll do some sure. research on my own, but that's mm-hmm. great. That's really cool. Yeah. I haven't heard that term, but that makes perfect sense. I mean, mm-hmm. in 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 uh, farming a few generations ago, they would only grow crop for a certain amount of time, and then they would change the crop to put the nitrogen mm-hmm. back in the soil naturally yeah. through like, you know, like legumes. Beans, beans actually weren't meant to be eaten. Beans were meant to grow, tilt back to the ground to add nitrogen Mm -hmm. during that rest period. Well, during famine, we're like, we got to eat whatever we need, (laughs) right? And so now we eat beans. (laughs) But beans weren't initially something we ate. And and I shouldn't say all beans, but certain beans were just part, Mm -hmm. were kind of meant to just be tilled back into the soil. But that's cool. Interesting. Wow. That's cool too. Yeah. so, So the reason that happened was because. We have centralized our food supply chain, and they have t- the, the mm-hmm. four main companies have taken control of our food supply. Mm-hmm. Those Do four you, companies. Go ahead. I was just going to ask what those, who those were. <laughs> yeah. So, so Cargill, and when I say food, I'm going to speak directly about beef, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. worse in produce. Mm-hmm. There are far fewer produce growers than there are beef growers, but. That's I'm not familiar with that space yet, so I'm going to bring on some expert <laughs> at some point to help you. Cargill, JBS, National Beef, and Tyson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four major controllers of our meat supply chain, and two of them are foreign. Tyson Great. is Chinese, and JBS is Brazilian. And of the four, <laughs> and of the four, JBS is the biggest of them all by far. Mm-hmm. So what happened was is because they controlled the chain and everything works only when it works, when it's that centralized, mm-hmm. meat packing houses closed because people had to stay home mm-hmm. and, 
and or got sick because they were so close together in proximity uh, with COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So when they close and you're processing 6,000 head of cattle a day in one facility, for example, well, the downstream effects of that are the feedlot those cows came from now have a backup of cattle which now the ranchers that are in the cow-calf operation that feed those big operations, and, uh, and when I say feed, like they, they sell calves into those operations, mm-hmm. nobody's buying them. So they take their calves to feed to the to auction and nobody's buying them, so then mm-hmm. they have to do something with it. So the small packers got flooded mm-hmm. with slaughter that they didn't normally have because mm-hmm. there was nowhere else for them to go. It was so bad that People may recall hearing on the news they were culling herds. Culling means taking them out of the herd, yeah. and that could either be selling off or just killing them and putting them in a pit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, well, it's a it's a you're you're trying to do business to make money, and every time you're feeding an animal that's already supposed to be gone, that that you're losing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why that's how it broke. Holy cow! <laughs> Pardon the pun. And Nothing's, yeah, and nothing's changed, by the way. They haven't fixed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Now, yeah. what has changed is more producers are going direct, but they're still doing business as usual. So, Matter of fact, not only they're doing business as usual, they're still trying to take more control, which puts us in even continued to be a more vulnerable position. Yeah. yeah. So do, are they basically these, these slaughterhouses were subcontracted out or contracted out to the big – these big four – the, the big four own the slaughterhouses oh. that are doing massive volume. And that's the, where the centralization comes in. They own the feedlot. They own the packing house. And so when they go to the auctions, so like what happens is they don't – most of them, I don't think any of them own the cow-calf operation where, mm-hmm. the, calves, where the cows are born. Yeah. Um, but when those guys take those cows to the auction – because the big four are so big, they can manipulate the prices oh, man. because they control and they have so much money. Like, right. I talked to a, a, a guy that opened a processing house in um, Montana, Northern Montana. And he opened it a year ago. He's bankrupt and closed today because mm. he decided to get into the game the same way they are, which is what they call box beef. Box beef is when you slaughter an animal, you take the primals. The primals are like your rib, your rib eyes, your T-bones. They all come out of the primal, and then everything else is ground beef, right? Just a, mm-hmm. a real simple The box beef world, you'll take the animal, grind up everything that's not a steak or a roast, for example, and then package it in bulk – and then send it to places like Cisco or mm-hmm. U.S. Foods. Right, right. And then they distribute it through places like your grocery store. They call that a box beef program. Well, the way you can, the way you play in that game is you go buy cows at the auction, and then you just run through as fast as you can because it takes far less labor than to cut individual steaks. Well, what is not uncommon is if you try to compete with them. They will sit in that auction house and they will raise that price of all the cows coming through there so you go bankrupt because they know that if you pay this much yeah. and it's only worth this much, you're not going to hang in there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Or 
and and then when you're out of the way, they don't bid very high and they keep it low. And keep that's why low. for beef producers, it's like this peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. right? What we're creating or my vision is to create a decentralized place where it's more rolling hills. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have some fluctuation, but these spikes versus just like something you can pretty, you know, count on for the most part is where mm-hmm. we can create stuff. Yeah, it seems yeah. it seems like if you could unplug those big box from you know these chains from the auction house, and yep. put that bidding power into the hands of the public, yep. s- suddenly their customer base is now bypassing them, which is genius. And this is what I love about it. And mm-hmm. we have the opportunity to be the benefactor because we're cutting them out. But not only that, but the rancher is going to be a benefactor. Because he's going to enjoy to be able to have the opportunity to have that more stable and yes. this sort of big brother not over his head manipulating things and making it impossible for him unless he plays by their rules. It's It feels like a, like a beef mafia or something like that. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. The, and, and JBS, if, if anybody does their own research on JBS, the owners of JBS, it's a family, a Brazilian family, they are. Oh, great. They have been, they have, they're, they're criminals and there's, there's legal records showing that they're criminals. It is, it is all, it is, I mean, you described it it is a mafia. Wow. There's the rabbit hole I'm about to go down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, frankly, you know, I'm not afraid because it's my calling, but there's at some, and I'm a, I'm a gnat, right? I'm nothing right now, but you know, when we're successful, um, there's a threat, yeah. But you know, sure. there's also a threat to not do. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's um, it's it's one of those things where if you feel like you're being placed there and and you f- you truly believe that that idea was was given to you, you kind of have a responsibility to see it through. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in oh, that yeah. place. You know, <laughs> I've been in that place, and I think um, I think that uh, what what's going to happen though is I think. I think in my opinion, and you know, I'm very ignorant to this topic. I enjoy meat. That's about as far as it goes. And I'll, (laughs) you know, I'll I'll pick it out at the grocery store, but usually my wife's even doing all that. But, um, but the thing is, is I think when you, whenever you put the power back into the consumer's hands, you're always in a position where you're going to be in favor, where where people are going to be on your side. And as long as that, that in, integral part is there i think it's gonna always kind of keep momentum moving forward um yes so tell me yeah. a little bit about your this app that you're developing because i know you mentioned on your live um i was watching yeah. one of your lives i don't know if you saw me log on on instagram i was there um, yeah, yeah i did i was trying to catch but i mean i was falling asleep it was late our time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um so so 2020 the news is talking about store shelves being empty and i'm really seeing this man's face from Iraq hmm. and where I lived, I was totally fine. I mean, my family are five generations of ranching, but I also believe that if I'm okay and my neighbors are not, then I'm not okay. Hmm. And so I'm driving down the road and the news is talking about empty store shelves and all of these things. And there's cows all over. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're, the problem isn't that there's no food. The problem is the system of which we get that food is broken. And so I just have this sort of like moment and I know it was, uh, you know, heavenly father placed it on my heart and was like, what if we built 
something like Airbnb, hmm. but instead of short-term rentals, it was all local food growers. Because then the consumers could shake the hand that feeds them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then no matter what's happening, the people are in the power. You know, I read a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by a guy named Viktor Frankl. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he hmm. was a prisoner in – he was a he was a Jewish prisoner during World War II and then became a psychologist and wrote about in this book especially about um, the psychology of being a Jewish prisoner during the World War II. Hmm. And he said one of the questions we get asked a lot is why didn't you stand up against your captors? There were far more of you in the prison camp than there were people holding rifles. Why didn't you just rush them? And he said, when you are starving, truly starving, not hungry, mm-hmm. but actually starving to death, we are – we at our core, we're, we're animals in a sense, right? We do have conscious. We have spirit. We have all of that. But when the flesh is weakened, we become like animals. Like look at – if you've read – it. Uh, uh, I think it was Anne Frank. Before mm-hmm. she had language, she has no memory. Because without language, she was like, she says, I was just as, as the dust. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to tie existence to. So language is the power, right? Um, in the in the Bible, and you guys are far more familiar with writings than I am, but in the beginning, there was the word, mm-hmm. right? And so at our core... When you're starving to death, he said, all you can think about is your next meal, even while you're shoveling your friend's ashes out of the kiln. And those are mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, those are my words, right? But wow. that's essentially what he was getting at. Yeah. So that's where the idea came from was like there's food everywhere. We just need to connect each other mm-hmm. yeah. because I've also studied being in military, like what it would look like if we had a collapse. Mm-hmm. Well, the collapse happens when people are starving. People, yeah. if you're if you're a father and you're seeing your kids starving to death, and that'll happen within a week to two weeks of a complete disaster, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's almost nothing you won't do. And yeah. kind of looking at the state of our world right now, there's a lot of things that others will do mm-hmm. to, to take care of themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, well, this is a national security issue. Food sovereignty is a God-given right, and we should not ever be beholding to any corporations for our right to eat. Mm-hmm. And so neighbors should be in a position to feed neighbors, and then we can make sure we hold on to those rights. And so then I was like, well, I don't know anything about software, so it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so then then the process of de- becoming confident that maybe I, maybe I just need to grow. I even called a friend who, uh, I knew in the CrossFit world and he went and got his, uh, degree as a software developer, a full, it's called full stack development, software as a service. And I called him, I said, Hey, I have this really cool idea for you. <laughs> you should go do this. <laughs> but it wasn't impressed on his heart. So he's just like, yeah, pretty much, you know, I won't be doing that. <laughs> and so I apologize to everybody listening would have been done six months ago if I didn't take so long to uh, build the confidence that I'm that it was me that needed to do it. <laughs> but, so I wrestled with that for a while, and then I realized, you know what? I just need to find my job is to find people that can do the things I cannot. Right. Yeah. Um, a few months ago, I was talking to a friend. His name's Harvey Scott. He works for uh, Redmond Real Salt. If you ever heard of the Real Salt, the Redmond mm-hmm. Real Salt, uh, it's a salt mine in Utah. So he works for the company Redmond Inc. 
as their chief development officer. And that company is amazing. The people behind it are incredible people. They're, they're, we're, we're in alignment quite a bit. And so I'm kind of moving through this and, and developing things and learning things and figuring out what I need to know, which is what led me to run a USDA meat plant, things that I'd never done before, never even imagined doing. And, you know, I said, well, I, I kept saying like, I have this vision or my vision and those kinds of things. And he said something and I don't think he even meant it the way it came out, but it hit, it landed for me. And he goes, with all due respect, it's not just your vision. Mm-hmm. And after that call, I started thinking about that and I was like, man, what kind of ego have you had to think God's going to put this, this challenge of changing an entire nation food system and you're the only one he's impressed this on to do this? <laughs> like, what's that ego about? And, I, you know, I've studied ego and like, again, the self-development side. And I was like, what is that about? So it, I, I kind of pondered that for a while and I says, OK, God, what is my role? If, if, if it's not my idea, if others have had this idea, what's my role? And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm really good at connecting with people. What he's called me to do is bring the right people together to make this work. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's my role. Yeah. And I, and, and since I've learned, like, I believe in abundance, I get, you know, I'm a, I'm human. So sometimes I get in a scarcity mindset and I just have to humble myself again, but there are 327 million people to feed in our country. And so I have seen four or five other business models just like mine pop up. And I've been asked, are you concerned? And I'm like, no, <laughs> if I'm the only one, then I'm just like the big four that exists now at some point. Right. Yeah. What, what happens if I pass away or whatever, I don't know what the next person involved or running the show is going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I am trying to develop this in a way that it can never be compromised, but, but, I should not be the only one doing this mm-hmm. because then we're centralized again. Yeah. yeah. So I, I hope these other services are successful. Now I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and how I've learned to do it and what I think it should look like because people will be attracted to these different platforms based on how they function in different ways. But mm-hmm. I'm not worried about not having enough because there's plenty. Yeah. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the beef industry alone is a $64 billion industry. And those four companies have, 85% of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. I don't need I don't need millions of dollars. Well, AJ, I just need to take I get hungry at least 3 times a day. And I'm <laughs> I'm one of I'm one of 300 million. So <laughs> whatever software is and you know makes sense for you. Exactly. <laughs> so and, and then the other side of it too like in all honesty, our biggest threat's going to be regulatory the lobbying groups mm-hmm. to keep things the way they are. We are sick as a society because of our food, because yes. special interests were lobbied like sugar. Mm-hmm. Like if you do some research on sugar, well, they paid the scientists to lie about the truth about sugar. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So my biggest threat is going to be lobbyists. Well, if mm-hmm. there's, and they're going to sue me, they're going to come after us so hard. But if there are five of us doing something like this or more, mm-hmm. Well, that's more people they've got to take on and their strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, my, my biggest fear now is not that it won't work. It's not. I know it will. I know people are waiting for this. My biggest fear is that it doesn't get created in a way that can't be manipulated. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I currently own 66% of the company. I don't want to own them. I really don't. 
And, and actually, I don't even want to be the CEO. I'd like to be the vision guy and let somebody else run it, you know, because <laughs> the technical side, like my job is to be the messenger. That's mm-hmm. really my skill set. My biggest fear is I make, because this is what happened with my previous event company. I made the wrong decisions, gave up too much control and too much equity. When investors were finally interested, I had no room for them to come in and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so what keeps me up at night is, the decisions I have to make and if I'm going to make the wrong one to where I fail the people I'm trying to serve because that's so yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I I liked something that you, I I was, I don't remember where it was on your Instagram, but you were saying like, you know, they, they could come at me with policies at some point or, you know, putting, putting stuff in there and um, that you kind of have to learn how to pivot that. Like, you gotta like think two two steps ahead, basically. Like, yes. and and that's part of it. Like, that's just part of the job. Like, yeah, and 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 because I'm a connector, I'm like, okay, now I need to start meeting senators mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. politicians that are in alignment, so they can get me ready for that. Right? They need to hear what we're up to, mm-hmm. and so like like people like Senator Thomas Massey, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I don't know him personally, but everything I hear from him and knowing his background and him trying to work through the prime act, the prime act is meant to do what we're talking about. Like there should be no reason that if you have an animal in our state and it gets processed in our state, that it can't be processed, wrapped and then sold to somebody in the state. Yeah. But the USDA, the federal government has their grubby little hands in everything. And so they manipulate all that. Mm hmm. You know, and so, yeah, it, it, it is that policy is, is exactly like mm-hmm. now it's like, OK, I have to think ahead. Like we're we're four weeks into programming, but I know we're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's like not a if it's a when. So I need to start meeting the right people now. So when. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This comes our way. We've got the right people in our corner. Yeah. yeah. Are there certain states where you find that it's they're more free in these aspects than other states? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know the states by by name, but I've heard like there are states where they're like, no, they've passed laws now. or like, no, if you're growing food, you can sell it to your neighbor. Nice. You know, (laughs) yeah, um, there are states where raw milk is okay. (laughs) Yeah. Even something I, as simple as that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I have to go pick – I pick up my raw milk every Monday in a parking lot in someone's um, <laughs> trunk. Yeah. It's like a, it feels like a drug deal. <laughs> That's how I get it. That's how I get it. Redmond, I was telling you guys about Redmond. So Redmond, they built five brick-and-mortar stores just so they could sell raw milk from their dairy. Mm. Because it, in Utah, you, it's required that somebody has to sign a waiver, and in order to do that, they have to have a legitimate business storefront to be able to sign the waiver. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was talking to Harvey, I was like, Harvey, because I have this vision, you know, the, 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 the vision for the operation, like there's a lot of moving parts because what we're trying to solve isn't simple. Right. People are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. Consumers are so used to going to my local store. It's on this aisle. It's convenient. I check out and I go home. So we have to design the software in a way that is as convenient as what they've been doing, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. early adopters like you guys that are getting on the Discord group, you're, you're, you're aware. You're like, no, nope, I'm don't. i going to skip all that even if it takes me a little bit more effort. If I have to make a phone call because I believe in this enough, I'm going to do that. But if we're going to get wide-scale adoption and really make a shift, 
I have to solve some of these issues. And on the producer side, they're so busy ranching and farming that to go and run a route and drive yeah. all over and they can't do that either. So I have to solve some things for them. So I was talking to Harvey and I said, you guys have this store. I'm like, are you making money? He's like, no, we lose money. Mm-hmm. But we believe so much that consumers yeah. should have the right to raw milk. We're willing to lose money because we fortunately we have other industry things that make us enough money like the right. salt yeah. salt. Brand. Mm-hmm. So what a noble thing to do. Like it's not all about the bottom line. Yeah. <clears throat> but I said, OK, so I have this idea. What if you give me a wall in your store and I can put up a wall of freezers with lockers? Now the rancher can stop by your store at their convenience. It, it might be a midnight run. They, they stop by. <clears throat> they throw the product in locker 12A. That's a 16 by 16 freezer. You get an alert. The customer gets an alert on their phone that says your, your beef's ready to be picked up in locker 12A at Redmond store number five. Nice. And he's like, <laughs> because now we increase traffic for them. They can sell more milk. They can sell other uh, things like salt that, that will help their bottom line. And now we mm. can create synergy. And he's like, yeah, that would, that would make sense. So hopefully we can create stuff like that throughout the country and, and make those issues, solve those issues. Yeah. We have, um, we, I'm, I'm in a s- smaller kind of town and we've got, um, a few local stores that have just like the local beef and that has been a, such a blessing to be a part of it. And like we, um, we have been doing like, um, we just bought a, a, a cow. Well, you know, he's in their freezer, but like yeah. we, we had to be on like a wait list. Yeah. <laughs> we had to be on a wait list and everything. That's why I really like, we got our own cow we're raising and, um, just keeping it at that local, um, situation. But do you think that are farmers more on board with that? Do you see, or, um, cause I know like they're, they're selling it to these big, you know, yeah. big four are, are they willing to shift to be part of something like this? That's such a good conversation uh, question. I just got back. Uh, I've been traveling a lot. I just, my wife and I just went out to rapid city, South Dakota for a, a convention called the RCAF convention, RCAF mm-hmm. USA. It's a producer organization that are fighting for the producer's rights, but really the big thing they're pushing on right now is what's called country of origin labeling. Most people don't know if you buy (laughs) – most people don't know that if you buy meat at the store and it's labeled product of the USA, it's Mm -hmm. probably not if you're buying from a big grocery chain. Wow. Um, They imported a – partially frozen animal like a quarter or a half that was raised and slaughtered in another country frozen and then shipped over and then cut up and repackaged product of the u.s product of the usa approved by the usda mm-hmm. and it's oh man, that is another yeah. yeah yeah you don't know yeah people don't know and and then i'd love Sorry. They also have all these issues that are happening now where like, you know, like I know for me personally, they they want to inject all these you, you know, G, the, the human growth or the growth hormones and then also then now the MR, mRNA yep. and uh M, what is it? MNR, mRNA vaccine. MRNA. Yeah. Yep. And you know, there's a lot of people, a lot a lot of people that are not interested in having that in their food. And, right. and I think that's going to be a big proponent as well for that because, yep. man, you, you really – I think 
your aspect of getting in front of lawmakers is going to be a, a whole nother animal for you, but I think it's going to be vital. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Cause I do. That's why I feel like I need a CEO to run the business side so I can help continue to messaging. Cause it's, it's a lot. I mean, I, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm happy to do this. I was talking to a lady that yesterday, uh, a, a lady yesterday that's going to come on board and, and help me manage my schedule. And she's like, you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I says, I will when I have time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Famous last words, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I go to Richfield, we're trying to move from Cody. I go to Richfield Monday through Wednesday. I got my truck. I left Wednesday afternoon, drove home, got home at 11, slept for one hour, got up with my wife, drove to Rapid City, South Dakota, which was another six hours. So, so basically I had one hour of sleep and then we got there right at check-in. We sat there through the whole conference uh, for that day, went to sleep. She, she, she's a champ. She stayed up with me. I mean, she couldn't, she, she couldn't fall asleep. So I got an hour. She didn't get any. We go back to the hotel at five 30. We slept from five 30 in the afternoon until the next morning at eight, when it was time to go back to the conference, <laughs> finished the conference. We got some good sleep that night and then drove back to Wyoming, stayed the night. And now I'm back on my way back to Richfield. Jeez. It's what it takes. It's, you know, there's, it's the season of life I'm in. And yeah. so I'm mm-hmm. okay with the, you know, the military trained me for this. So I got it, <laughs> but I can't sustain it. Yeah. And when the politics side gets involved, then that's going to be, like you said, a whole new beast. So yeah. at some, I'll need somebody in there that can execute, the day-to-day on what we're developing so that I can really focus on reaching people and the message and the, and the political side, because it will, this will be the fight of our life. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mind, I don't mean this to be dramatic. The big corporations are pushing for intellectual food property, mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. IP. They're using climate change to vilify our natural food so that they can outlaw it. And then your only choice is to buy genetically modified or food IP that they've created. Mm -hmm. So we have no other choice. That's what's happening. It's not conspiracy. It's literally happening Mm -hmm. and they have said so much. Mm -hmm. And so I think that truthfully, I think that the reality is most Americans know this. We just think that that may not be true because the mainstream media that's dominating the airwaves makes it seem like we're the minority mm-hmm. it's, uh-huh. not true. it's not true we are the majority we are and so yeah it's going to take a lot of a, a lot of um faith to to fight this battle mm-hmm. well you just outlined a whole agenda of the new world order yeah, exactly. they, they don't they don't they don't want us to have independence on anything, complete dependence upon them. When, when it comes to our money, it's going to be through their system. When it comes to yep. food, it's through their food that they're literally manufacturing meat now, like yeah. out of labs. Oh, so gross. It is disgusting. And um, <laughs> I saw I saw some, uh, I don't know if it may have been a real, I don't know what it was, but um, in Israel, they had developed this, this meat in a lab and, and uh, Netanyahu was over there and he, you know, they cooked up a piece of chicken or chicken. I'm doing air quotes, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. It's chicken parts, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You know, you can't call it a chicken breast. You can't call it a thigh. I mean, it grew in a Petri dish or whatever. So, but, um, and, you know, I think more people, like you said, I think more people are on, on our side of things where that's just disgusting. We don't want it. I'd rather just go have a chicken in my yard if I could. 
and yep. you know when it's done we'll eat it you know <laughs> but yeah i think the next move and this is this is just you know this is me looking at my crystal ball which i don't have but <laughs> the next attack is going to be this message that there's some sort of disease that's going to require the mm. killing of our food mm. yeah mm-hmm. like the avian bird flu yeah mm-hmm. mad right? cow and, yeah and so they're going to yeah mad cow or Foot and mouth disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Foot and mouth disease is the disease the USDA and, and, and every producer is the most worried about when it comes to livestock because yeah. of its uh, virality. Well, they are trying to allow Paraguayan beef to be imported, which the last time Paraguayan beef was imported had mm-hmm. cases of foot and mouth disease. Yeah. The timing That's is not that. a coincidence. Hmm. It was um, – I, I had mentioned that. I think it was like last year at some point that that was like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm watching this because there's like cases in these cows and cows were dying. And, um, and there, there was like, you know, this big fear push and then it kind of fizzled. And I'm like, that's, that's coming. Like that was planted in the mines. That's coming. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Yep. That's coming. That's mm-hmm. coming. And so, so back to your question, you asked are ranchers in, interested in this. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a really great, great question actually. So mm-hmm. I'm at this conference and I'm kind of listening and a lot of the guys there, they're, they're, you know, our average rancher is 60 years or older. Mm-hmm. The younger generation is because if they don't do it differently, they're not keeping the ranch. Yeah. The older generation, maybe they're too tired or just like, just like me, just like anybody, something that you're totally unfamiliar with is really hard to get behind Mm -hmm. because there's a, there's kind of a fear of not understanding it or, you know, whatever that might be. So Mm -hmm. that's why I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, that's kind of helped me guide how I'm going to structure this. So when I first had this idea, I'm like, Oh, well the most, did I lose you guys? No, you're good. Oh, the most stable looks like we lost Jessica. Oops, sorry. Oh, you're there. The, the right. most stable way to do this is to allow small processing plants to sell on the platform, because they're sort of the hub for their region. Like all the producers go to them for slaughter and processing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And then I started thinking about because then I moved to Cody, Wyoming, to run a USDA meat plant was not on my radar, but Heavenly Father's like, yeah, you got to go that way and figure this out so you can speak to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's why I ended up there. It was never on my radar. So, and actually when I moved there, I wasn't supposed to run it. It was being run by a, a, a plant operator. And I even told the guys that I was going up there for, you have a meat plant operator, right? Because that's not why I'm there. I'm there for big picture. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, he's great. He wasn't so great. He had to go after a couple of months. Mm. And all of a sudden, I found myself in an emergency situation running this USDA plant. Now, I will say this. The people that ran it were the ones who worked there. I just oversaw and supported them. But I learned a lot because I was sun up to sundown for two months, two or three months, and it was a crash course in running a meat plant. They are not making any money. They are just as at risk as the producers. And so then I'm like, wow, if I give them the ability to sell direct as a meat plant operator, I'm going to want to have a hundred percent of this meat with my own label Yeah, because that's the only way I can make money. Well, that's going to pose a new problem because you, the rancher call me to get slaughter scheduled for your own brand. And I'm like, sorry, we're full. Cause I'm now running my own successful white label. I'm like, Oh, I better not do that. (laughs) Well, now I'm having a really hard time 
getting people to come on board to be producers to sell. And I'm like, now I don't have enough meat to feed, to feed the customers. So I'm like, holy cow, these are some big problems. So it'll end up being a hybrid model. I know it's going to have to be. Yeah. We'll have small plant. And, and so here's what will happen. To create the stability, small processing plants will team up with older producers that don't have the time to do the business, the logistics. Mm-hmm. And they'll work together and we'll teach them. We're going to educate. This is how you do it. And it's going to serve everybody. Mm-hmm. You guys can then share a higher revenue. USDA plant, your margins are too small to be successful. Uh, rancher, your margins are too small to make any money at the auction. So if you guys come together and you actually get the retail value of what people buy at the store, but you don't have the auction house and the background feed lot and the mm-hmm. transportation mar- yeah. transportation and the yeah. marketing guy, yeah. all of that just goes to you two. You're now both successful and can support one another in your region. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we've seen in the conversations. Uh, it's a big education for mm-hmm. people. Now I started telling you guys, one of my concerns was the environment. Yeah. You know, there's a saying, it's not the cow, it's the how. Yeah. So when you're shipping millions of pounds of beef across the ocean in a super tanker, and one super tanker is equal to 40,000 cars on the highway, mm-hmm. is not the cow. No. Right. It's, it's the greed behind getting the most out. It's the extraction that, uh, you know, I'm a capitalist, but I'm, I, I'm a conscious capitalist. <laughs> like there's a distinction there, right? It's, it's do no harm. And by, you know, that's why like anytime I talk to somebody about this, I've had VCs want to invest in what we're doing and they're like, what's your exit? I've learned, I've learned how to have them run away when they <laughs> ask me, because I don't want a VC because if we do really well, JBS or Cargill's, you make, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars to buy this. Right. Mm. And they, uh, they close it down. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when a, when a VC says, what's your exit strategy? If you tell them there isn't one, they will run away as fast as they can. Because mm. <laughs> they only want the exit. How am I going to mm. get my money? So there is no exit. This is, and, and if I can keep this going the way, the, you know, when we keep this going with integrity, the way it's designed. Mm-hmm my kids will be running it or people that are committed to the mission will be running it and it'll be a legacy business. It's not an exit. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, you're talking about the, the environment. There's a lot of, um, um, misconceptions and myths out there about blaming it on the cow. But, um, I was at this homestead festival last year and they were talking about soil and, um, how the practice of, of making sure your soil is healthy mm-hmm. is, is a big issue. And when you're, so there's, so that the, these big, you know, the big four, like to get cows to them, like they're not, farmers aren't doing what they need to do for their soil. Right. Um, and that's so true. That, that's a huge issue too. And if we, if, so if, if it was more localized, more, you know, like this, all of this, all, all of what you're talking about solves a bunch of problems that people don't even realize are problems. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and you know, that's actually where I started with soil health. So mm-hmm. like I was telling you, my family's journals, grass stir up high, then they couldn't grow anything. Desertification where we first started this conversation. Yeah. So when I would take this conversation of soil health to my family, the generational producers, 
mm-hmm. and that there's a different way to do this, a better way, what I'm doing is questioning what dad taught them mm. and what granddad taught him. Mm. And yeah. that is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so what had me actually go down this, all this other, I think what steered my, my thoughts to this path was like, if I can show them how to make money doing this, mm. then I can influence them on how to, be more successful and actually less reliant on anything outside of themselves because soil health. Mm-hmm. Listen, right now, like the, the traditional model, when I say traditional, like post-World War II, yeah. tradition actually should be longer, but that's two generations for me now, right? So mm-hmm. post-World uh, one generation, but post-World War II, no, two. Yeah. Two generations. <laughs> My genealogy skills are great. Um, <laughs> post-World War II, you raise a cow – you send it to a feedlot that gets fed corn and grain that comes from somewhere completely different than your ranch and most likely from another mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Right? That is not stable because right now, one of the things or in the last couple of years, what really killed our producers in their bottom line was especially with the war in Ukraine and, and Russia Russia is responsible for a significant amount of nitrogen fertilizer, which is required to grow corn, even if it is grown in the U.S. (laughs) And so now they've lost all their margins because the cost of these things where soil health, when you do holistic management or regenerative agriculture. See, I have a friend in Tremont in Utah has been doing this for three years or my last video on Instagram. If you go watch the live I did with R.C. Carter was last night, Carter Country Ranch, Uh, Carter Country Meats. They do regenerative agriculture where they do rotational grazing. So they have a heavy concentration of livestock close together. So they're pooping and peeing in concentration on the land. Well, that's fertilizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's natural soil biology is increasing. So then with 1% increase in soil organic matter, you can hold 20,000 gallons of water per acre. Hmm. Like this, this is a whole other big topic, right? So, <laughs> so if you're in a desert environment and you increase your soil by 1% organic matter and then it rains, instead of that evaporating and going away and not contributing, hmm. it goes hmm. into the soil and contributes and now you grow more grass. Yeah. So then the next year you can hold a few more cows per acre. Mm-hmm. You do that over and over again. So my friend in Tremont, he's – cut over six figures worth of inputs, fertilizers and things like that. And increasing the amount of cows he can run, which when you Mm -hmm. sell cattle, cattle is meat, that's protein. So it's protein pounds per acre is increasing. (laughs) Then you meet guys like Will Harris from White Oaks Pastures or Joe Salatin from Polyface Farm. They'll run their cows through protein pounds per acre. Then they'll run chickens behind that can pick through the parasites. Mm-hmm. That's protein pounds per acre on the same land. Then they'll run sheep or goats through because they eat a different forage. That's more protein pounds per acre. Yeah. Now, <laughs> how many families are they feeding? Will Harris mm-hmm. said they're feeding about 25,000 people wow. on 2,000 wow. acres. 2,000 wow. acres, 25,000 people. Yep. So it's interesting then um, – one of those some states, I don't know if, if it's only particular states that they only allow one cow per certain amount of acres. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we are, we have broken everything, right? So that's a policy issue now by the Bureau of Land yeah. Management. 
my family in the desert. So here's the thing. So Alan Savory describes brittle and non-brittle environments. It's a scale. Non-brittle are like jungles. Notice what doesn't walk around a jungle. Right. Ruminating animals. Right. Yeah. They're not needed. Why? Because it's so moist that when a tree falls or leaves fall or a branch falls, that moisture is going to break that down naturally mm-hmm. because it's super moist. In the West, we had 60 million bison roaming in the West before we slaughtered them all to get natives to move on to uh, reservations. That's what happened. That's just the fact. Yeah. We went in and we said, we're going to kill them all, starve them out, which history is repeating itself. Mm-hmm. 15 minute cities. That's a reservation. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to ask you what you thought about that too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all, it's the agenda. It's all tied together mm-hmm. and we're seeing it play out in real time. And again, if, if, if everybody just realized you are the majority. So when they try to come push you, just stand together and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to make, they're going to scare you to think you're not, but you are the majority. Mm-hmm. Hitler did with he, what he did with 10% of German backing. Nuts. So you've got 60 million bison roaming in concentration. Why? Because they had predators, wolves and and bears and coyotes, keeping them bunched together and always on the move. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there were writings when we first came into the country that if you followed behind the bison, your horses would starve to death because the feed was gone. Yeah. But yeah. they let manure down so heavy that it just came right back. That's why we had a beautiful lush grasslands. Well, in the desert west, they have these policies that you can only have one pair per 100 acres in certain areas. <laughs> one now, pair. If, mm-hmm. One pair. So if you, if we know, because it's true, if we know the only thing that will break down organic matter in the west is the rumen of an animal's stomach because that's where the moisture exists. Mm-hmm. And you got one per 100 acres. That's like a needle in a stack of needles. Yeah. And we wonder why this this the Bureau of Land Management has been running and managing this at the West for how many decades and is it better? No. Uh-huh. It is not better. It's worse. Mm-hmm. So if their ideas were correct, we would have seen it get better. Then you've got these guys like Alan Savory who can show factual evidence, right? There's a this documentary Kiss the Ground. I just highly encourage people to watch it. Now you might my warning is this. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> There's a little section in there with Gavin Newsom. Just ignore that. Fast forward. <laughs> like and, and the, we we do that anyways. Yeah, I know. There's a new documentary coming out called On Common Ground. It's made by the same people, by the Kiss the Ground organization. So when they made Kiss the Ground, it was seven years after they filmed it that it was released. Hmm. And so I've since become acquainted with some of the producers in that movie. And they're like, we've been doing it the same anyway. Just they filmed it. Nothing happened. We just kept going about what we were doing. So we've already already regenerated millions of acres. The next goal is 100 million acres restored. That's the goal of this common ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's coming out in select theaters next month. Mm. And then it'll get released uh, probably on a wider scale, you know, in shortly after. Mm -hmm. It shows hope. Yeah. And also. It shows that this narrative, the cows are the problem, this is the evidence to fight that. And so I think everybody should back these organizations like the Savory Institute, like uh, Kiss the Ground, Mm -hmm. all of these regenerative groups. 
because that is our evidence to show that they are absolutely false when they say that cows are the problem in causing <laughs> global warming. So you're saying that cow farts aren't affecting the environment. They are not affecting the environment. <laughs> man, I was so f- looking forward to eating bugs, man. You're totally killing the vibe. Come on. I'm sorry, man. You can still do that. Sprinkle a little on top. Of it. <laughs> man, you are you're literally nailing like so many points it's crazy like when mm-hmm. i'm listening to you it's like um you know because like i like i said i'm ignorant to so much of this i grew up in a you know a neighborhood like to me i was that guy you described oh well it's yeah. in the grocery store we'll just go get it um <laughs> but i also then became the guy that that you didn't realize you would become when you were in iraq and that's the guy that I looked at my kids and i thought nobody's coming to rescue me Mm-hmm. there's nobody coming and so it's going to fall on my shoulders and i'm going to do everything i can to make sure my family has what they need when it hits the fan you know so mm-hmm. to speak and it's it, that phrase is probably misleading because a lot of people think it's going to be a one event boom and then total collapse and all, it's literally it's they're just speckling at the yeah. fan and it's yeah. just yeah. slowly becoming how you, right how you eat an elephant one one bite at a time right That's right and That's so right. And eventually it gets to a point where there's there's what they call crossing the Rubicon, where we get to a point where you can't go back. And I think yes. we're approaching that at some level in our culture with all the corporatization of all of this, you know, you know, our government's giving themselves over to corporations. They are running. I mean, if you didn't see that during COVID because of big pharma, it, you, you are blind. You know, you yeah. obviously are blind. So. This is awesome because, like I said, I'm a big fan of decentralization. <laughs> I think this is huge. I love eating and feeding my family. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. Well, let me let me just let me just say this because this is the thing that's going to be the hardest part. It's getting all of your listeners to change their habits. Yeah, yeah, and doing it with faith that they're going to be better off if they do. Mm-hmm. I get the question all the time, well, is it going to be affordable? Well, we need to talk about what they, what the big companies have done to skew our belief about what food affordability yeah. is. What, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. We the used value to, of it. Yeah, the value of it. I mean, we used to spend 30% of our budget on our food and 8% of our budget on health care. <laughs> it's now 8% on our food and probably 70% on health care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So – the challenge is this. When you go buy a really nutrient-dense, healthy package of meat, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you a couple of dollars more than the grocery store. But in that meat are all the essential amino acids, the phytonutrients, the, mm-hmm. the omega-3s you need to not spend that money later at the hospital. Yeah. Exactly. People and, don't – and that's another like demoniz- yeah. demonization of, of – of real good food is that beef is actually one of the most nutritionist nutritional things you can eat out there. That's right. That's right. It, it has everything. Matter of fact, if you've heard of the carnivore diet, it's yes. literally the <laughs> only only thing you can eat solely yep. and thrive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that's not to say that you shouldn't have some, maybe some fruits or vegetables in there, mm-hmm. but if the majority of your diet is beef, you're going to be good to go. <laughs> You'll be thriving. Yeah. <laughs> people don't realize, people yeah. that can't see, th- th- this is an audio only, 
AJ is so busy that and he what he's doing this podcast out of his truck. So I think he pulled over on the side of the road to talk to us. I'm in I'm in Evanston, Wyoming. I timed it. I left my house. I'm like, babe, I gotta leave at noon so I can be in Evanston because that's the only service between here and Cody. <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta be in Evanston by six so I can get on this podcast. And so I am. So if you hear the cars in the background, I apologize. It got real hot in here. I should have yeah. kept my truck. Oh, no. oh dude. Um, but but yeah, listen. So that's my call to action is. Yeah. If you really truly care, what can you, what lifestyle, look at your lifestyle. This is what I've also learned, especially when I owned a CrossFit gym and I was helping people transform their lives. Mm -hmm. Where are you wasting money? Yeah. Are you buying soda? Are you buying beer? Are you buying, like, I don't care. Like, I have no judgment. I have a, I have a beer every once in a while. I have no problem with that. What I'm saying is, where can you save to invest in yourself? Yeah. And when I say invest in yourself, I'm literally talking about investing in your future and your right to eat from a source that you can shake their hand and know exactly what's in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about the mRNA. If you're buying from a grocery store, the people uh, uh, fueling those grocery stores are in the they're in cahoots. They're in the pockets of the government and vice versa. So -hmm. if the government says put mRNA in there, they're not going to question it. But when you go talk to a small farmer and rancher, they're going to tell you, heck no, we will not. do (laughs) Yeah. we have to shift what we believe about this and just know that they manipulated us very well. You know, at the convention, they talked about pink slime that came up in the news Mm. seven in Mm. 2007. Yeah. The reason they're able to keep that price so low is they take all of this other junk. They, they blend it into a mush. They send it through a machine to spray it with, um, some sort of a, 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 an acid type wash. Mm hmm so that it kills anything in there. And then they use it as a filler into your ground beef. So when you buy ground the grocery store, I'm not saying all of them, if you don't know where it came from though, just assume that's the case. But if they can put 13% volume in that one pound, they can drop the price and make it cheaper because it's 13% crap. Yeah. 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 So gross. Anyway, man, (laughs) AJ, where can people connect with you? So, uh, my Instagram is a period J underscore Richards. I am being significantly silenced on there now. I know uh, how that is. <laughs> shocker. So yeah. my, my X or my Twitter is AJ Richards. No special characters. I got lucky on that one. So I'm going to try to start doing more there because I think that, uh, we have the ability to say a lot more there without being silenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Go to feedthepeoplebythepeople.com. You can sign up for an email list and we'll keep you updated. I haven't done any email blasts at all yet. I'm I just I'm too busy. I don't have time to sit down and write an email. But you'll get a hyperlink to join our private Discord group. Hmm. Yep. The, the Discord group is where people are already connecting nationwide because my thought was I'm here to serve. What happens if I don't get this done in time? It, we need to connect people right away. So we've started connecting people in Discord with local producers. So if you go on there, you'll find that on the side of the screen, there's all of the states throughout the nation. Join your state, introduce yourself, and say, hey, here's where I'm at. Does anybody have anything? Be patient with me. I've got a lot going on. I'm trying to get producers on there. You may be somewhere where it's not convenient yet. Um, If you're listening to this and you're retired and you have time and you want to get involved, 
I posted a video on there recently, a Zoom call I did, talking about how I find what I'm looking for when I Google for local farmers and ranchers. If you want to donate some of your time, do some searching around your area. Watch that video so you know what to look for. Do some searching around your area, and there's a section in Discord where you can put the name of the ranch, where they're at, and you can start helping people in your area connect. If the, if the software never goes live, but we've started connecting there, that's what matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, we're going to make sure all those links are definitely uh, in the show notes for people. Uh, Jessica, I wanted before we go, I wanted to give you an opportunity. It looked like you might have had something you wanted to say or some. I just didn't want to shut it down on you. I'm good. It's funny because I had these questions and he like he would just answer them without me. Right. Before (laughs) I even said anything. So (laughs) good, man. Well, AJ, man, I, I I can see you're starting to get hot in your truck there, and <laughs> I do want you to know how much I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to just spend with us and share with us what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined the, the Discord, found a, a farm with like a few miles away from my house, and my wife and I are going to start, um, you know, checking it out and seeing what we can get there and begin to exercise, you know, this freedom that we have. <laughs> and uh, I'm definitely going to keep a, a lookout on how things are going with the app. And when you get it up and running, let me know. We'll promote it. You know, we'll talk about it. And um, yeah. you know, you're welcome back as well. Obviously, if you have awesome. if you have the time and you want to do that, um, just you know, give me a shout out. But um, we do thank you again, man. And um, yeah, I hope thank you so much. I hope this uh, pans out for you the way that the vision you have. I really do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, you're welcome back anytime, and uh, we'll catch everyone next time on All Out War. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWCast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.